Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome to another hour dedicated to the inquiry of what it means and what it is to be enlightened. We think of this show as one especially for those open-minded people who have witnessed enough of life to know there is a guru on every corner and a veritable cornucopia of ways to reach enlightenment, at least according to all of those holding out to have that way. Well, what then is enlightenment? Until the 18th century, knowledge was passed on the basis of authority. So if someone like Aristotle said it was so, then so it was. Enlightenment really occurred when the process of questioning, of testing, and so forth gained hold. A young Newton, for example, dropped two balls of different weights and discovered that they fell at the same speed. Not different speeds as Aristotle had reasoned. The age of enlightenment then, for many, especially the historians, arises when authority is questioned by minds unwilling to accept the status quo. Indeed, the scientific method is born out of questioning. This, of course, is thought of as an age where science breaks out of the dark and leads the way to enlightenment. Well then, what is spiritual enlightenment? Is it time to expect a breakout from the old encrusted authoritarian views? Is there a dawning new age or is the so-called New Age weighted down with too much hocus-pocus? As many modern scientists would have us believe. I mean, where is the line? When you hear a newscaster such as Anderson Cooper of CNN refer to New Age gobbledygook, you know credibility is an issue. All right, Ravinder will actually be the one interviewing me today. Say hello to everyone. Hi, everyone. Since today's show is all about my new book, What Does That Mean? Exploring Mind, Meaning, and Mysteries. And today is its official launch. Last time I looked at Amazon UK, we were number 20. Amazon Canada, we were number 20. Amazon the United States, we were number 99. We need you people to get in there and help us here now. All right, let's go to our letters, and then I'll get back to my point about enlightenment and the book, What Does It Mean? Our show last week was all about change. Craig wrote, so much to learn. Thanks to my wife for showing me another way. And for you, Mr. Taylor, I was almost lost. It's really easy to become lost nowadays, Craig. And the real problem is most don't know that they're lost. You're you're now ahead of the game, and we welcome you to all the fun and joy that life holds in store for you from here on. Pamela wrote, I'm so excited to receive these. I listen to Hay House Radio every day. I'm so grateful for Eldon Taylor. I love his program. Thank you, Pamela. Now, what Pamela is referring to are the free Intertalk MP3 programs that are yours as just a part of our way to pay it forward. And they're yours at absolutely no cost. You can download one or many by going to eldentaylor.com, use the left-hand navigation pane, and follow the link titled free programs. Not a hard deal at all. Okay, Chance wrote, I love your products. They are actually making a change in the way I talk to myself. There is a lot of undoing to do. Well, Chance, that's exactly what they're supposed to do. And isn't it wonderful that technology can actually do that for us without any real effort on our own? 
when we change the way we talk to ourselves, we change our inner beliefs. Changing that changes our perception. Changing our perception changes our expectation. I'll tell you, that changes reality, whether you call it manifesting through some principle of magnetics uh, or it's simply the Pygmalion or the expectation factor in psychology. The fact is, life changes. Lois wrote, Dear Dr. Taylor and staff, I purchased and have been listening to the Stop Smoking CD for a number of months now. Though I have experienced phenomenal life changes using your CDs over the past year, I just didn't seem to be having any success in this area of my life. As I have about an hour's commute each way daily, I've been playing the Stop Smoking CD all the time in my car, which is where I used to smoke. The operative phrase there is, used to. As one day, just before payday, I didn't really want to spend money on cigarettes, so I simply decided that I wouldn't smoke ever again. I've had no withdrawal symptoms, no anxiety, no irritability, nothing. It's simply as if I never smoked a day in this life. I, can thank, I can't thank you enough, as I am doing many wonderful things in my life that are healthy, raw veganism, daily exercise, stretching, etc., but I could never fully embrace the good because of the smoking habit. Now, I'm totally free, and your CDs completely supported and continue to support an overall delightful life. Words are inadequate to really express how my life has changed and continues to change for the better. I'm a customer for life, and send my blessings to you and your company for the wonderful work that you're doing. You know, Lois, I changed careers. Walked away from a successful lie detection and investigation agency, specifically for paydays of the kind you just gave me. As I say in my book, Choices and Illusions, having that warm, fuzzy feeling that somehow, in some way, you made a difference in someone's life, that is when you know your life matters. Thank you, Lois, for helping me with another warm, fuzzy feeling. You know, while we're on that, a friend of mine gave me a coffee cup years ago. I think it expresses a worthy ambition. I want to share that with you. The cup reads, To laugh often and much. To win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children. To earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends. To appreciate beauty, to find the best in others. To leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition. To know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have succeeded. Betty from Ireland wrote our pithiest comment when she said, Love your show. Well, thanks, Betty. Please spread the word, and we do appreciate you. Our show is nothing without all of you out there, so thank you, all of you. Okay, that's all the time we have today for letters, but I want you to know that I do read and appreciate your feedback. You can opine, and I invite you to do so by leaving comments at eldentaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. All right. Now to the point of today's show. The world is full of stimuli. We are bombarded continually with advertisements designed to sell us something. We hear about every epidemic, near epidemic, new sickness, and all the violence and greed in the world from virtually all sources of information. News flashes cross our computer screens. VNRs, that is video news releases, designed for foreign countries are aired on domestic television, and we think we are seeing a news piece instead of the deliberate propaganda piece that is the subject of the VNR. 
We pick up the paper and read opinions, not always labeled as opinions. We find advertorials mixed with a column on world news, and infomercials follow our late-night entertainment. We drive behind a taxi advertising the new show in town. We stop at a semaphore for a red light and read the bus that's sitting next to us, painted all up with some cell pitch for something. We pass the billboards, thinking we are immune to them, but they are nevertheless registering in our subconscious, and advertisers know that. We open up a new site on the Internet and a banner appears, offering us a game of chance, the opportunity to win. Win what? Well, typically a discount on what they want us to buy. We pick up our phone and a computer speaks to us, selling us perhaps an extended automobile warranty. Even our groceries are bagged in advertisements. Media, 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 everywhere media. Everything clamors for our attention. Everyone wants to own a piece of our thoughts, our ambitions, our goals, our desires, our beliefs. Your mind is their target. Are you authentic as a result? All of this overt, superliminal stimuli, and that does not take into account the enormous amount of supraliminal and subliminal influences designed to register deep in our subconscious and provoke conscious thought as a result. Wherever there is advertising, be it for a product or a candidate, an idea, these more subtle clues are packed into the ad, for they are the clinching tools, the technology that causes the leap from inaction to action. So consider this. Literally thousands of supraliminal and subliminal bits of information are taken in every day by the average citizen. Now, I'm using both of these terms in the sense that Their greatest influence arises as a result of the fact that they are unrecognized stimuli, that is, stimuli that you are unaware of processing. So, in a real sense, all the stimuli that you're not directly attending to, that becomes a stimuli I'm addressing. And all of these stimuli collectively are designed to arouse your appetite for something or drive you there by creating anxiety and fear in the absence of having that something. There are many ramifications to this, including one of the points that I want to draw your attention to now. Philip Zimbardo, past president of the American Psychological Association, puts a problem this way. Quote, we have found that pathological symptoms may develop in up to one third of normal participants in the rational process of their trying to make sense of unexplained sources of arousal. Think of it. Imagine all of this information being fed into a computer. Indeed, imagine that all this information is the large part, perhaps as much as 80 or 90% of the total data available upon which all decisions, calculations, definitions, etc. shall be based. Give the computer choice. What choice can it make that is not a part of the data stream present? Now imagine that your mind is plugged into the data stream. Your choices, like that of the computer, are delimited by the data. In this free, is this free will? Or is it a multiple choice based on the options made available by those writing the data? You know you choose between A, B, and C. You're not allowed to know there's an entire alphabet out there. Assume that you realize this sort of programming is going on. What do you do? Where do you start? 
These are questions I asked and answered in my books, Mind Programming and Choices and Illusions. But for purposes here, if all this information is who I have become, then how do I ever find enlightenment? I often see so-called gurus of our day teaching self-responsibility and practicing a version of, I'll help you by telling you what to do. People can get into trouble with that. And it doesn't take a lot of reflection for any of us today to think about the recent death of some individuals that were indeed participating in in a spiritual undertaking designed to bring them enlightenment. You know, if we're going to work on I'll help you by telling you what to do, well then the followers claim responsibility and then wait for the cue from their guru as to what to do. So, for example, what sense does it make to teach self-responsibility and then offer psychic readings and tell followers to leave or stay in a place of employment with a significant other or maintain a course of education, sell their car, or on and on and on? It is as though many of these followers have never quite matured. Like children seeking answers and direction, they find a surrogate parent. Then if things don't work out, they have someone to blame and they move on to yet another surrogate. Now, I don't mean this to in any way spurn any psychic. I mean it as an alert to anyone that might give away their real power by choosing to do something because the guru, the psychic, or what have you, told them to do so. The advice may be very good, but you must take responsibility for following it. And that presupposes checking it out, considering all the alternatives, coming to your own conclusions, and then being willing to take full responsibility for the decisions. The message here is simple. Nothing changes until you do and you absolutely do the doing. Don't give your power away to some so-called guru and expect that you are empowering or discovering yourself. Indeed, if those in quantum physics that suggest consciousness creates the world, if they're right, then until you own your own thoughts, you're creating for others exactly what they want, not what you want. Now, what has all this to do with my newest book and its official launch today? Well, two reasons. First, it's clear to me that one cannot find enlightenment until they find themselves. It's as if they're in a large dark room without windows intent on turning the light on, but refusing to move in order to find the light switch, waiting for someone to do it for them. Second, it's actually a large part of the reason I wrote the book. I know that every one of us is unique, and yet we share some things in common. For example, I know that miracles happen to everyone. And as The Course in Miracles puts it, quote, there are no degrees of miracle, end quote. But it's also my experience that most ignore them, large and small alike. Or if we don't ignore them, perhaps we simply take them for granted. That is, events in our lives, I am convinced, lead us naturally along our path if we are alert to them. Sadly, however, most are not. You can call it serendipity, synchronicity, 
But it seems that most people are only aware of when these things happen, when they're looking for something of that nature to happen. They overlook it when it's conspicuous and occurs without a petition. What I wanted to do in my book, what does that mean, was draw out this map, this compass, this guidance, and how it plays out in our lives every day. One of my dear friends, Caroline Sutherland, says, the book is my magnus opus. Thank you, Caroline. That's really flattering, and I appreciate it. But the words of Michael Beckwith and Crystal Andrus are really on point with what I intended to do with the book. Michael Beckwith says this, Eldon's provocative voice of wisdom and compassion places his readers right on the dot about the meaning of their individual existence. What does it mean? reveals how the paradoxes we face in everyday life form the rich material that invites us to confidently enter the mystery and relish it. Read, practice, and celebrate. And Crystal Andrus says this, quote, What does it mean goes far beyond exploring mind, meaning, and mystery. It's a deeply satisfying and divinely inspired book that will not only explain so many uncertainties, it will also heal many a tattered soul. Both scientific and spiritual, strong and soft, spellbinding and soothing, this is a must-read, end quote. All right, now you know something about the book. Remember, you can call us. <clears throat> you can join us by calling in. Or Now, Ravinder, I believe that you have set out some questions that you think we should treat today. So where do you want to begin? I mean, Well, I would say, first of all, you know, I mean, if they are hearing your, your show right now, they could, you know, just jump out on the Internet pop out to your site, eldentaylor.com, and go check the book out for themselves. Okay. Let's go to the book. Let's <laughs> tell people what the book's about. I think, you know, the what you have in the book is, at the very beginning, you share a very personal story that you say shaped your life. I'm referring to the train wreck. I am sure we have lots of people out there who would be fascinated by that story. Can you share it with us? Yeah. Um you know, this, this is a story that for a long time, uh, because it, it, it seems incredible, it's just something that you just don't freely share. But, but the fact of the matter, the story goes like this. I was uh, 17 years old. Um, I uh, was in a, a dealer automobile, a 57 Oldsmobile. I was in that dealer automobile, ironically, because my car had been run into by a young person who didn't have... Uh, insurance, but his father had said he'd pay for fixing the car. So I was taking the bid to get the money, and I was driving this Oldsmobile because I was thinking about buying it to replace my car. I had my girlfriend with me at the time, uh, Connie Bennett, and we were going to a dance. And but we had to go out to this community, this small town, uh, Woods Cross, Utah, to pick up this money and then go to the dance. Well. Woods Cross was a very small town at the time, and uh, it was a major railroad hub, uh, and it was very dark, and uh, there weren't street lights, etc. And as, as we came into Woods Cross, uh, the railroad tracks were built up, kind of in a hump, and you go over several of them, I, maybe 12 or 15 tracks. It was like a switching yard. Uh, and I was playing around with the, the gas on the car, pretending that it was running out of gas, working on winding Connie up, and... You know, something that kids do that, you know, in 2020 hindsight, I shouldn't have done. It was that simple because as the car came up on the top of these tracks, it stalled. The engine stalled. It was flooded. 
uh, and you would have thought it was a Hollywood movie. I mean, there I am. I'm sitting on the railroad tracks, and the instant the car dies, the signal arms start coming down. And, you know, you hear the bells, and, and the lights are flashing, and, you know, and, and Connie said to me, you know, should we get out of the car? And the only thing that came across my mind was, I don't think we have time. If we get out of the car, maybe the car will get drug on us. Maybe somebody will or trip or fall. So I said, no, I'll start the car, thinking that I could just keep the gas down all the way and turn the engine over, which is a trick we did with Fords back in those days. Turns out it doesn't work very well with a nosemobile. Well, the long and the short of it is that train was doing over 100 miles an hour, had over 100 cars on it, and it hit the driver's side of the car. Cattle guard crushed the driver's side. It wasn't, uh, oh, maybe the whole thing wasn't three feet. It couldn't have been maybe 30 inches high. Uh, EMTs, emergency vehicles, etc. cetera, uh, they arrived at the scene and used the torches to cut Connie out of the car. Uh, when the train hit the car, Connie had her hand on my leg, and, and I was turning the key. And then the next thing, I'm standing in a field. And I'm maybe 100, 150 yards away from uh, where all these emergency vehicles are. Now, time has passed because I'm standing in this field and all these emergency vehicles have arrived. And, and I think, uh, you know, what happened to Connie? So I, I run to the train or, or to, the, to all the vehicles, you know, near the train yard or to the train tracks. And uh, I'm stopped and they want to know who I am. And I tell them who I am. And... And so they finally let me get to Connie, and by now they have Connie in, a, in an ambulance. Uh, they have cut her out of the car. It gives you an idea how much time has passed. Now, you know, this day I cannot tell you what happened. Uh, I told this story on Coast to Coast, and one of the listeners uh, was a reverse speech expert, and they reversed the speech, and they came back with some, some interesting things about how maybe you bend time. I know this. I was in the car when the train hit. I was standing in the field, not dead, uh, when they were cutting Connie, or, or just as they had cut Connie from the car and moved her to the ambulance. I told this story in a court of law. Uh, no one questioned the story. I just kind of took it for granted. I never really asked myself what happened, other than it was a peculiar kind of event. We'll be right back after these words from our friends. Close your eyes. Imagine your goals and dreams. What's preventing you from accomplishing them? Most often, we are our own worst enemies. I can't. I'm not good enough. It's time to reprogram that inner dialogue. Replace all those negative self-images with, I'm good. I am powerful. I can do anything. Eldon Taylor's InnerTalk patented subliminal technology does just that. Researched at numerous universities such as Stanford and by governments such as Mexico and Germany, InnerTalk has repeatedly been proven effective at changing your self-talk. Stop imagining your goals and make them a reality today. Visit www.innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. InnerTalk.com. Do you feel like you've become lost in a funhouse, only seeing the reflection of yourself? 
past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you, I invite you to step through the doorway and onto the path leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Elton Taylor's New York Times best-selling book, Choices and Illusions, now expanded, updated, and revised. It will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free from your current perceptions and begin your journey to how high is up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. Now, if you just joined us, the story goes like this. Uh, you know, I don't know what happened. I can't, I can't tell you uh, what took place in that intermediate time. I can't even, I can only but estimate how long it took for those emergency vehicles to get there. So that time and that space difference. And I think of this as one unit, time, space. That's just lost to me. And I haven't been able to recover it, whether it was the use of hypnosis. Unless this reverse speech is onto something, you know, that that uncovered something. But, I mean, that really challenges all credibility. So here's the bottom line. This happens to me when I'm 17. No one says anything to me about it. I mean, I testify in a court of law. Connie's parents... Uh, obviously sued, and they they gained relief. The railroad company, um, you know, uh, the train was traveling too fast. There was insufficient time in the signal uh, difference between the train arriving where the signals were and and uh, the allotted time, and and on and on and on. <clears throat> but you know, you would think giving this testimony in a court of law, when I look back on it, somebody would have questioned it. You know, the, pro- the, 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 def- the defense or the prosecuting attorneys, the plaintiff's attorneys, you know, but nobody did except my mother. And my mother asked me, I mean, a few days later, several days later, my mother said to me, uh, you've changed. Are you a walk-in? Now, at the time, I had no clue what that meant. I, I, I do know that it didn't make me happy. I didn't know, I mean, of course you change because something that serious, uh, you know, impacts your personality. But it was one of those things that because of everything else going on in my life, because maybe the guild I had, Connie was in traction for a long time because of, you know, I was working, going to school uh, simultaneously. Uh, you You just pass by it. You don't give it a lot of attention. And at the same time I say that, Years later, through a process of incidents, many of which I disclose in the book, including, you know, coming upon an individual who's written a book he calls the only true book between man and God, and at a time when, you know, I was very theistic and uh, uh, within a, a, a religion uh, or an ordained priest, and, uh, and he took me apart. And I could cite chapter and verse, but his logic, his reason, his facts, his history, many of which I cover in the book, just took apart what I had believed. And I found myself, as a lot of young people do today, in a place where I didn't trust authority. I didn't trust what I'd been taught. I uh, I had a seminary class, and uh, I took a lot of these questions into this seminary course. And uh, believe it or not, they flunked me. 
Now, they, they didn't flunk me because I got bad grades, because I had A's on all the examinations, etc. They flunked me because I was a disturbance in the class. Now, I, I brought all of this to the academic, you know, the principal of the, of the high school, and we made an issue, I made an issue out of it, and I got my A, but I was also told, don't come back. That's so, crazy. So at that point, you know, uh, I, I was pretty atheistic, uh, definitely agnostic. But these kinds of events like the train, they kind of continue to happen. And, and this one event became a marker in my life where it was difficult. It was impossible for me to explain what had happened. To this day, I can't explain what had happened. If Connie were sitting here, she would tell you that she can't explain what happened. So, if you can't explain it, but you live through it, and and it challenges everything that you know about the physical universe, what does that suggest to you? See, to me, it suggested this nagging, there's got to be something else. There's got You know, maybe I was given the wrong information. Maybe this traditional Christian material uh, wasn't exactly. Maybe it had been exaggerated. Maybe I just needed more inquiry. Maybe there was some... And see what I learned and the point that I wanted to bring out in what does it mean is when I look back at my life as opposed to looking in the Vedantic literature or the Bahir or the the Upanishads or uh, the biblical tradition or the Torah, instead of looking outside in all this philosophy and metaphysics and and uh, religious uh, spiritual material, when I looked at my life and I started walking back through episodes in my life, there was a pattern. And this pattern was revealing to me a truth. To me, you can call it, to me, it is an existential event. It happened. I experienced it. I know it. It, it is a the the kind of existential epistemology that says there has to be something else my life revealed that now because we work with a lot of people and especially young people and there are so many disillusioned young people today and so many that you know aren't i mean they just not just young people older people who have not reached that self-actualization principle of maslow uh, individuals that for all intent and purposes are in pursuit of of finding enlightenment but falling short of it uh, you know the, the people that want it that believe it's there what I wanted to do was show them how their own life could be that knowing that eliminated the confusion that comes from the paradoxes that we live in, the decisions and choices that we sometimes make that confuse us, etc. Does that make any sense? Yeah, to you? but I've got a question for you. I mean, you cover that story. You cover a number of other really fantastic stories stories in the book. Do you think these things occur to other people? I mean, how does this? relate to other people well you know the fact is i know it does <clears throat> that's that's the bottom line you know i wrote choices and illusions because i wanted to show everybody that look you're not making your own choices those choices are being made for you you're given the abc multiple choice as i discussed in the setup piece but there's a whole world of alphabet out there 
And, and I wanted everybody to understand that. And then I wrote my programming because as I lectured about choices, people would ask me, well, how do we get all this stuff? I mean, how do they manage to control us and you, you, to, to such a degree that we can't think out of a box because they've given us the box? And they've even given us what is supposed to be out of the box. So, uh, so I wrote mind programming so we would understand that. We would have some tools around that. And in all the lecturing there, you know, I kept getting the same thing from both groups. Well, okay, but you know, if this is going on, if everybody is trying to sell me, if everybody's, how do I find myself? How do I find my authentic self? How do I, how do I make that uncovering that says, you know, what is real? You know, uh, if there is uh, life after death, if there is something beyond the scope of the physical universe, as opposed to, to, to just taking this information, just guppying up to it, you know, uh, swallowing anything and everything, how do I really know? And that's when I started showing people that they already did know. It, it was in their own matrix. It was in their own patterning. It was in their life. And, you know, for example, just a couple of quickies here because I have my laptop sitting here as we talk. You know, when I did the Coast to Coast show, uh, and, and you know that, I mean, we have a lot of these, so I'm just pulling out a couple. Um, I asked people, you know, I, as I told the story about the train, I, I made the point to George Nury that I, I was sure that, Many of his listeners had had similar experiences, something that I've done when I'm lecturing, etc. Well, bang, the mail started pulling in, pouring in. You know, so Katie wrote, you told a story on Coast to Coast last night about the train accident. I had a similar incident at age five. I was joyriding with two boys, all three in the front seat, going very fast down a gravel road known as a roller coaster. We missed a turn and rolled the car several times. I was standing on the road looking down at the car unhurt then went and helped the boys out they were injured i never felt like me again have little memory of childhood very strange incident i really enjoyed you on the program thank you okay. wow all right now no, but but that's just one uh here we have another one karen this time writes i am listening to you on coast to coast and must tell you another story like yours in 1995 my roommate's cousins were in a car wreck the cousin had her two small kids, ages seven and nine, and her sister's son with her in the car when it became airborne. Mom and daughters were catapulted into a huge tree, killing them instantly. The sister's son, age seven, however, was not injured. He went to the next house to get help. When asked what happened, he said, quote, Two big hands reached in and lifted me out and set me beside the road, wow. end quote. Now, you know, the, these stories are really common. But I'm going to come back to the setup piece. There is no degree to miracles. You know, there are little miracles and there are grand miracles. And maybe two hands taking someone out of a car and setting them on the side of the road is a pretty grand miracle. Okay? But then we, we all experience miracles all the time. I can remember... You know, I'm a very small child, and, you know, I'm not going to say this is a miracle, but it certainly defies explanations without having some supernatural um, aspect to it. I, uh, I had a favorite marble. It was my ta, and I was a very good marble shooter, and this was like, I guess I was in uh, 
kindergarten. Had to be in kindergarten. Kindergarten or first grade. Anyway, um, at recess, I won a lot of marbles, you know, and I, my pockets were bulging with them. And I'm inside, and we're we're in class, and I'm not paying any attention because I got to check out all these marbles that I won. There's some good ones, you know, tiger's eyes, and and it dawns on me, where's my taw? I couldn't find my taw in all the marbles. I couldn't wait till class to end because I had to find my taw. I went out, I searched the the lawn, I searched all around everywhere. There was no taw, and I'm, I'm you know tearing up, and I'm really upset, and I hear this inner direction. Close your eyes and be still. I'm just a boy. Just a, you know, nobody has ever told me that this kind of stuff takes place. I haven't read this in a book anywhere. So I close my eyes. And then I'm given instructions. Go X number of steps straight ahead. So let's say six steps. So I walk six steps straight ahead. Stop. Turn. Left. Go four steps. All right. Go left. Four steps. Stop. Turn right. Go two steps. Stop. Look down. And I look down and right there, at the foot of my, where my shoes are, was my marble, my ta. Wow. And again, you know, I mean, these kinds of things happen to everybody. But when you look at them in a pattern and you look over your life and you see that these events are there, the question is, what are they trying to tell you? What are they saying to you? That there's more. And I think we do all have some of these experiences. I know I've certainly got some of my own stories. Not quite as fantastic as yours, but I'm not going to compete with you there. But I think everybody <laughs> does. You know what I think would be really cool, honey? Honey, I'm sorry. That's all right. Everybody <laughs> Dr. Knows Taylor, I'll be very professional. <laughs> Uh, what I think would be cool, actually, is to maybe invite stories from everybody out there. You know, if we try and get all of the stories in, but if we had some kind of competition, but not a competition for the best story, because I don't think there is such thing as the best fantastic story, but how about offering a prize to everybody who sends their story in? Now, that's a spontaneous idea. I like that idea. That is a really great idea. Uh, a prize. I'm giving them some... What if we give them the three DVD set, Change Without Thinking, the five hours worth of, of okay. um, you know, program on uh, how to take control of their own thoughts? What if we give them that? Three DVDs, Change Without Thinking, to everybody that sends a story. Okay, so how do they send the story in? Uh, where do you want them to send it? you want them to... I think if they go to eldentaylor.com slash contact us, you can find the contact link right on the homepage of eldentaylor.com then they can send you in the story there. But they'd have to be sure to put their address and details in there so we can send them out the free DVD set. Okay, I hope everybody got that. You go to eldentaylor.com. You get me the story by either going slash contact us or you just go to the comments. But from eldentaylor.com, you get me your story, include your details, and we'll send you the three DVD set, Change Without Thinking. All right, now, that's a great idea. You know, uh, let's get on. We've got about eight minutes. Where do you want to go to now? Animals. You talk about animals in your book, and I love animals, at least certain animals that I have of my own. Um, you say that animals are conscious, and you became, as, you became a vegetarian as a result of your experience with animals. Can you share that story 
with us? Well, it's more than one story. You know that. And actually, there's, you know, there's some other things that all dovetail in here. But let me see if I can do this properly and at the same time concisely. I had a ranch, a horse ranch. It was an all-breed stallion station. We bred a lot of mares every year. Uh, it was a 50-stall barn, and it wasn't at all uncommon to have the barn completely full, uh, especially during the breeding season. Well, because of that, uh, we would have a lot of wasted hay. Now, the wasted hay, uh, by that, the horses would pull it out of the manger. They'd walk in it. Maybe they'd slobber, uh, you know, it'd end up in their their uh, water buckets, etc. So... On a daily basis, we had stall people that would clean those stalls out, that would take this wasted hay. But this was protein-tested good hay, so wasted to a horse, but hay that would make you know a calf fat. So what we took to doing is uh, down the road from my place, there was a dairy farmer. And, uh, you know, when bull calves, dairy bull calves are born, they just lunk them in the head. Uh, so what we did is we took That's the Gideon. Christ. Well, I know, and and you know this was a different time too, and uh, and I wish there were a way for me to tell this story and purge myself of any guilt or, you know, the right for you to say it's gross because the fact is it it was. But we would get these bull calves uh, from the dairy farmer as opposed to having them them in the head. We'd bring them over. We'd feed them the the uh, bad hay, so-called bad hay, bad in the sense you couldn't feed it to the horses, but cattle did real well on it. And every fall, then we'd, you know, slaughter the cattle, and they'd go into the freezer, you know, and that was your beef. So um, one particular year, we had a calf that scoured when my ranch foreman and uh, his significant other were not available. And so I had to take this calf over and uh, took care of it, bottled fed it, so etc. That's what you mean by scour? Yeah, it, it's scouring. It, it's uh, a diarrhea. It will kill oh, okay. kill animals. But yeah, thank you. Uh, at any rate, uh, the calf kind of adopted me, and, and as such, you know, for a bit came a, somewhat like a mascot. I hate to use these kinds of words because I know where the story goes, but. Uh, he'd come when I called him and, and so forth, and he was a black and white jersey, so we called him Boss, like, you know, the Boss cow that was on the, the Borden's milk mm-hmm. container. All right, now, uh, year passes, you know, and it's fall, and it's time to take the cattle out. You know, the mares are all gone. We're not having bad feed. We don't buy hay for cattle, so we slaughter the calves. And, uh, you know... Uh, I have a little bit of trouble loading this calf, so Mike Dowling, my foreman, hollers at me, and I help him load the calf, and uh, and it's really just a matter of patting him on the butt and telling him to get in, and I end up riding with Mike over to the slaughter yard. Well, to make a long story short, this calf had a, a way of calling to me when it was in trouble, and uh, just as they're killing the calf, just as they're, I mean, you know, just split seconds before this calf is killed, calls to me and I look and it's looking at me and you know I can look back on that in 2020 hindsight you know I, I try to get a, a concept around this a you know context that's what I'm looking for but 
you know, those were days that I was an investigator at a lie detection business. I might be carrying a gun. I'd run out to my ranch. It was my part-time thing. I'd breed my mares or, or the mares that were in. You know, this was, this was you know, what do I want to say? I guess a, a, a time when I was lost in in what it was to be macho or something. I don't know. Uh, all right. At any rate, I left. <clears throat> And the image of that calf burned into my head. It was a calf. I began to anthropomorphize it like this calf was saying to me. So what did I do wrong? Uh, I, you know, couldn't eat it. At about that time, I was trying to change things in my life, including all the anger that I had. And I was doing a project with a Casey Foundation. And that project was all about a research project, not eating beef, because Edgar Casey had said, if you eat this meat, it's full of uh, the, you know, chemicals, the adrenaline, etc., the fear that it goes through because of how we treat animals, and and as such, it increases the anger, the hostility, the fear, and so forth in you. So I went on this 30-day meat fast, and I did notice a complete difference in me. Now, add into that, and these things are not necessarily, I'm not giving them to you in their order all together, because this, this happens, you know, in a period of about a year. We had a mare come into the barn, and uh, I don't have time to tell the whole story, so I'll just make it short. This, this mare uh, was very wormy, and the owner had tube wormed her, and she was coming in for breeding in full heat, so she had a, a foal on her side, seven days or so old. The mare, uh, the tube worming caused the mare to colic. The mare got down in her stall and rolled. Uh, by the time my foreman got a hold of me, we got a vet out there, we got oil on the mare, etc. Well, she had distended. Uh, she was in my arms, her head looking at me, I'm holding it in my lap, sitting on my rear end in the alleyway. There are a lot of people there, the owner of the mare and all their their children. And and when this mare rolled her eyes back in her head, closed them for the last time, died. I was the only one that knew it, other than for the 50 horses that were in the barn. That had all been silent. Their heads turned away from the alleyway and away from the light. This was around midnight. They were sleeping. They all came forward and they all began to neigh and whinny and in chorus and, and Mike was with the family and he said to me what's going on and that's when they first learned the mare died well you know that moment you can see consciousness in all these animals and that changed my life and you know what we have, we have about 50 seconds and so you know we're going to have to end this story maybe we'll do it again because your book is full of these kinds of stories and I think everyone does connect to them I most certainly do well I know I had a wonderful letter from an individual that told me he heard the stories and he took one of the practices to his dog because I tell a story about my dog and it saved his dog's life so I hope everybody will get and read the book alright listen we've come to the end of another hour of provocative enlightenment and I want to thank all of you out there uh, for listening in and I hope you'll join us again next week uh, same time same place uh, you know as I paraphrase every week please above all else know thyself